If you have a Bible, take it and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, and we're going to look at nine verses. The first nine verses there of Luke chapter 9. As a child, I had very little power or authority over my sisters, uh, whether that be my older sister or my younger sister. Uh, I could tell them what to do until I was blue in the face, but they really didn't listen to me. Um, but as with all children, if if I was sent by my mother on a mission, and I said to my sister, Mom says it's time to come inside, or, or if my dad sent me and said, Dad says it's time to get in the car right now, or even better, if they both said something, and I could go to my sisters and say, Mom and Dad said to clean up your room, uh, then I had some sort of authority. Uh, I had I had power. There was something behind my words. Um, it wasn't my authority. It wasn't my power, but it was given to me by my parents, and they sent me on this task to to tell my, my sisters what to do. Even then, they probably didn't listen to me. But I still had that power. As we continue to look at the book of Luke, and we're here in Luke chapter 9, uh, we see that Jesus is, is going to send out his disciples. He's going to send them out to proclaim in word and in deed the good news of the kingdom of God. And he's going to send them out to do it in his power and authority. And as we think about their specific mission, we're going to see this, this big truth for our lives in particular, which is this, as disciples of Jesus... We are sent to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God in the power and authority he has given. That's a long sentence, so let me say that again. As disciples of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are sent to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God in the power and authority he has given. So we're going to think about that, that main idea. This, this passage, then, is, is a reminder, a needed reminder, we always need this reminder, that if we are truly followers of Jesus, then we are to be proclaimers of the message of Jesus. We are to tell others what we know. We are, we are witnesses who are to testify about all that God has done for us. Now, as we talk about that, of course, often our hearts are filled with fear. and We get scared about thinking about having to tell others the gospel, to, to do this task of, of evangelism, or maybe we just feel inadequate for the task, or we feel powerless for it. If that's the case, then this is a good reminder, isn't it? To think that our authority and our power is not our own, but it's actually given by God himself, and that this is his task. Let, let's read Luke 9, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll continue to think on this. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve together, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. 
Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now for the past four weeks, we've been thinking about this question, who is Jesus? That's kind of the question that keeps showing up. And, and that question actually will continue through chapter 9, even into the transfiguration, uh, which goes through verse 36 of chapter 9, continually asking this question, who is Jesus? But we've got part of the answer already from chapter 8 about who Jesus is. And what we've been seeing is Jesus' immense power and authority. You remember this. That, that we, saw, we, see, we see his power and authority over creation. That he causes the wind and the waves to stop by just the word of his mouth. We see his power and authority over demons, such that that they bow before him and they beg for mercy and they have to do whatever he commands. He has power over the demons. We see his power over disease. Last week, that this woman who'd been sick for 12 years, who had gone to every doctor possible and was stuck in this helpless situation, that she is healed immediately just by touching Jesus' clothes. His power over disease. And then also that he has power over death. That he calls a young girl's spirit to return to her and raises her up from the dead simply by saying, Child, arise. He has power over creation. He has power over demons, power over disease, and, and power over death itself. And so what's so striking, I think, about verses 1 and 2 is that he calls the disciples together and the text says that he gives them power and authority. Now, just think about that. He gives them this power and authority, and then he sends them out to proclaim the good news of the of the kingdom of God. He's just revealed to them in, in very dramatic and astounding ways how much power he really has. And then he brings them together, and he takes this power that, that he is filled with beyond anything they could imagine, power that they were marveling at, and now he says, I'm going to give you this authority and this power, and I'm going to send you out. Can you imagine what that would have been like to be the disciples? Could have gone to your head, maybe, I think, uh, to just witness the power of Jesus and then to be told that you have that power. But at the very least, it's, it's quite the confidence boost, isn't it? You're being sent out, that you now have the power of Jesus. We, we might remember even back in chapter 8 that they're, they're being called to do what Jesus himself had done. Verse 1 of chapter 8, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus had done. And, and like good disciples, they are to follow in the steps of their master. And so they are to do the exact same thing. He's giving them the power to do this. They are to proclaim in word and deed the rule and the reign of God. They're to come and they're to say that God is breaking into the present and he is king and you need to bow your knees and repent. And they also were given the power to show that by healing people and by, by casting out demons. And so Jesus has modeled this mission and then he tells them, I want you to go out throughout Galilee. Mark tells us that they went two by two, so in groups of two, and they were to go out in Galilee and do what he had done, to be ambassador of Jesus, ambassadors of Jesus, to be his representatives, to proclaim this message and to show his power over demons and disease. They're to walk in his footsteps. Now, some of this is is descriptive and some of this is prescriptive. That's one way to think about scriptures oftentimes. Some of it, in other words, is describing what happened and some of it is applicable to our lives. Not all of it is necessarily applicable to us. Some of this is unique to the disciples and who they were in the time period in which they lived. Um, it, it's it's a unique thing that's preparing them even for the later tasks that they have. 
but but it's not directly applicable to us. Do we do we have power over all disease? I don't think that we do. I don't think we have power to heal anyone. I don't think Jesus has given us as Christians that power. Do we have power to exercise all demons? No, it's it's not the core of what our mission is as Christians. Those things seem to be unique to the apostles. They seem in, in fact to be unique maybe even to you might say frontline missions to to when the gospel is breaking into an area that it's never been before, that it authenticates what that this is true, that this is really of God. Now, that's not to say that that we can't pray for people to be healed as a display of God's power. In fact, I think we should do that very often, that as we enter and as we proclaim who Jesus is and what the gospel is, that, that we could pray for people to be healed, that we could pray for people to be released from from sin in different ways, that, that, that God would cause them to repent. But the core of our message is the good news to turn from sin, and to turn to Christ. But I think the principle here is this principle of of borrowed power and authority to proclaim the good news. You think back, we, what we read in Acts 1, it's actually thinking forward for the disciples, that, that the Spirit was going to come, that, that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit to them so that they would then be empowered to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And this is, it just reminds us that this is our mission. Our mission is to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus to all nations and to do it in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that if we have found forgiveness from sins, if we've forgotten, found resurrection life in Jesus, then we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we are given power and authority to go out and to proclaim this good news to others, that that is our task. So in the midst of fears and uncertainty that we all have, in the midst of lack of courage about telling others the good news that we all feel, we're reminded that this is our call, that we are to go and we are to tell others all that Jesus has done for us, and we do it in his power. As disciples of Jesus, we are sent to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God in the power and authority he has given us. So Jesus gathers the twelve together so he can send them out. Uh, he not only empowers them, but he gives them some specific instructions that we're going to look at. There are specific instructions that relate to, to how to proclaim this message of, of the kingdom. Some of them apply specifically to disciples. Some of them apply maybe to people, you might say, that are in more of a full-time ministry role, maybe as a pastor or, or a, a missionary. And so we want to draw those things out. But even as I say that, I want to remind us that that Christianity doesn't advance, the gospel doesn't go forward simply on the backs of pastors and missionaries. That it's never been that way, and it isn't that way currently. I've been rehashing some of my church history and reading this book called The Story of the Story of Christianity by Justo Gonzalez, and he talks about one of the greatest ministers in church history, the Apostle Paul. And he says, sometimes we make too big a deal out of the Apostle Paul. He says this, Paul's significance for the early spread of Christianity ought not to be exaggerated. Now, I think we have a tendency to do that, don't we? To think about, it. wow, Paul was like amazing. But he says it, he should not be exaggerated. Although the New Testament speaks a great deal of Paul and his journeys, there were many others preaching in various regions. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. The Alexandrian Jew, Apollos, preached in Ephesus and Corinth. And then he says later on, The missionary task itself was undertaken not only by Paul and others whose names are known, but also by countless and nameless Christians who went from place to place, taking with them their faith and their witness. 
Some of these, like Paul, traveled as missionaries impelled by their faith. But mostly, this is key, as the gospel is spreading, mostly these nameless Christians were merchants, slaves, and others who traveled for various reasons, but whose travel provided the opportunity for the expansion of the Christian message. So yes, the apostles are important in, in the history of the church. And to a lesser extent, pastors and missionaries, are there's a, there's a unique call to tell the gospel. But, but if you are a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a responsibility to tell others. You are sent into your family, into your neighborhood, into your group of friends, into your workplace, into whatever your sphere of influence is to tell all that God has done for you, to tell about the power of the, of the gospel, the transforming power of Jesus, to proclaim the kingdom, to tell people that Jesus has come, to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness of sins. And that's how the gospel goes forward. It's not something that's just for those that are in ministry. I am not paid as your pastor so that I can take the job evangelism from you and you don't feel like you have to do it, but rather to equip you. Joel and I are to equip so that we can all be about this task. And we all have been given the Holy Spirit, this power and authority to go out and to proclaim this good message. And so it's for all. And so that we have these instructions from Jesus here and these specific things that he says beginning in, in verse 3. And the first thing that I want to say that we see about these instructions is that the task, the task of proclaiming the gospel... The task calls for urgency. For urgency. In my mind, I might imagine the, God, the, the disciples gathering that morning, uh, maybe some coming from their homes because they were in Galilee. They hadn't brought anything in particular for that day except maybe their morning cup of coffee. And they, they walk up together and Jesus gathers them around and he's going to give them a game plan for the day, whatever's going to happen. And he says, all right, guys, I'm, I'm sending you out to proclaim the message of the kingdom. And Philip says, oh, I forgot my staff at home. <laughs> and Andrew says, oh, no, I, I left my wallet. I don't have any money on me. And Jesus says, you don't need any of that stuff. That's what, that's what he says here. He says, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even two shirts. You guys are going out to proclaim the message, and you're not taking anything. Uh, this, this, this command to, to travel light. Uh, and, and it's this idea that there's no special preparation that's necessary. And Jesus, is, it, there's no extravagant supplies. There's no training beyond what they already had. What was needed most, actually, was for them to go. That, that was the most important thing at that moment. Because the, the, the message had gone forth. It had gone throughout this region. But people everywhere needed to hear it. People everywhere needed to repent. Because as, as Jesus and John were preaching, the kingdom of heaven... The kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's at the door. It's, it's here. The time is now. The task is urgent. You have to go now, guys. Go, go preach the gospel right now. I think we often feel unprepared, don't we, about the biggest decisions of life. You feel like we've got to be completely 100% ready for something before we step into it. I met for the first time with Matt and Esther this week about to do some marriage counseling. And what I did not say to them was, you have to be 100% ready before you get married. Because if that's the case, they'll never get married. Uh, the same is true with having kids. I hear often, well, we're waiting until we're ready to have kids. You're never fully ready to have kids. You're never 100% prepared. And so, too, I think we can sit around and feel like we're not totally ready to, to be a witness for the gospel. That, that we haven't read all the books. That we don't have all the answers. That... I tell that person, but our relationship, we just need to 
to be a little bit closer before I tell them this this message. And the reality, I think, of what Jesus is saying here is there's no time for that. We don't have time. There's, there's an urgency to the task of telling others the message of the gospel because it's a message of salvation from eternal hell that's given to people that are we're always on the brink of death. How fast can can our lives be gone in a moment? And how and the other the other thing is we do not know when Christ is going to return. There there is it could be at any moment. And so there's this this urgency that that we we cannot wait. We don't go home and get our staff. We don't get our wallet. We don't need money. We don't need special training. We don't we don't need to build a relationship more. Sometimes that's necessary, but often what we need to do is we need to say Oh, this has got to happen right now. This is an urgent task. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus just reminds us this is this is urgent. I think we forget that. I forget that. I forget how the people that I meet every day are eternal souls. That that if they die apart from Christ, that they spend an eternity apart from him. There's an urgency to this task. So the task calls for urgency. The next thing I think the principle is that the task calls for for selflessness. Part of the reason I think for them not taking these specific things, no staff, no bag, bread, money, two shirts, uh, is that it would distinguish them from other traveling teachers. There were some teachers that would that this was part of their gear. These things were specific things that they would take along. And the point as they went out was that they were teaching and they were teaching for money. That that was how they made their their living. That the bag there could be a, a beggar's bag, which would be the preacher seeking money. And so Jesus, as he sends them out, he wants them to be distinguished from everyone else. I don't want you going out preaching for monetary gain. I don't want you spreading the gospel message and expecting money in return. That's not the motivation. Now I say that as a guy who gets paid to stand up here and talk about the gospel. <laughs> Now, I think that there are scriptures that obviously say that that, that there's a legitimate need and a, and a right to pay those who function as pastors and teachers. I think the point here is that's not the motivation. And I can say with a pure conscience, I don't stand here and preach the gospel because I'm getting paid. That, that That's not the motivation. And he wants us to be distinguished, that there's, that there's not gain that we're getting from this, but we're doing it for the glory of God. Uh, the selflessness, I think, extends not only to, to them not seeking monetary gain, but also not to looking for the easiest route or the highest position to be found in in proclaiming this message. You notice he says, whatever house you enter, verse 4, stay there and from there depart. It's interesting, isn't it? What do you mean by that? I think what he's saying is he's saying if, if you enter in a house, if someone welcomes you as you come in, then you need to stay there. You, you don't leave, meaning that you're not going to be on the lookout for a better position. Someone invites you into their your, their home and they show hospitality, they show openness to the gospel. Then then you don't start thinking, well, this house is is nicer. They have better food over here, and they're inviting me in. There's a softer bed, or this person has a higher position in the town, and so I'm gonna I'm sorry, I'm gonna go stay with this guy now, and I'm going to leave this person who initially invited me in. So Jesus reminds us that that reminds them that they're not to seek position or influence. That that ministers of the gospel are to be selfless, they are to be humble, They're, they should be willing to enter any house that would open their door to the gospel and to them. There's a temptation, there's a temptation to seek out those who are like us, 
seek out those who we think might be deserving of the gospel. But the good news of Jesus is open to all who will open their doors. There's a temptation in us to seek out respectable positions, places of influence in society, to be known by those who are well known, to be seen rubbing shoulders with leaders. But Jesus often would take us into hidden places, to a place where there's no one around that, that sees what's going on, where the person isn't of, of a high class, but they, they're open to the gospel, they receive us, they care for us. I think this is a specific I think this really has meaning for those that, that are in a full-time ministry position. I think the application is clear. And I confess this pierced my heart even this week, that that there's a desire that, that crops up. I'll just, let's let's confess these sins that, that we're prone towards. There's a desire within pastors, within if you're looking to go into ministry, to, to seek a higher position, to, to seek a, a place of greater influence. I think that's just that just kind of comes with the territory, and so that's something that 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 I fight, you know, as a pastor. I hope that's not shocking, um, but I, I confess, even this week though, as I sat around at, at small group, uh, surrounded by this this group of people that are from our church that that love and support me and my family. We love one another. We pray for for one another. We love the church. It's just. It's filled with with joy at the thought. This is our church, and our church is open to the gospel. What a what a great home we've been invited into. Um, I I ate at Mark and Ruth's house twice this week. <laughs> they fed my family on Sunday, and they had the youth in their home on on Friday night. And just this hospitality, this openness to the gospel, and it's it's just a blessing. And so many uh, the, the church opens and invites my family and me into their home and to be a part of your lives and. And I just, as I looked at this, I thought, you know what? As long as we're here, this is the house we need to stay in. I think that's the principle, that when, when God opens a door for ministry, that you stay in that house. It's not a matter of trying to climb some sort of ladder and get a higher position. Now, I don't know God's plans for me or my family. I don't know God's plans for our church. But I think that this is the principle I drew, is that I need to stay in this house as long as you guys will let me, and as long as God hasn't taking me somewhere else. And I think that's just a great ministry principle, especially for, I know some of our guys are looking to go into ministry, just to remember this, that that if the door is open, if people invite you in, that it's not a matter of trying, that, that ministers of the gospel don't seek to, to climb the ladder of success in the same way that others might, but rather that the door is open, that we, be, that we are content with where Jesus has sent us to, and we minister faithfully in that area. So I just confess that as the way God applied this to my heart and those of you that, that maybe are in a position where that may be a temptation in the future I just encourage you with that so the task calls for urgency it calls for selflessness and the third thing I, I want to say is that it calls for dependence we've already seen this dependence on the spirit for power and authority uh, to proclaim and show the gospel but there's also a dependence on God for provision think about leaving all these things behind they're going out with with nothing. When I say a travel light, I mean this is traveling light. Not not a bag, not a staff, not even two shirts. They've got one shirt for however long they're going to be gone, however long it, it may have been. It places them in a place of dependence. If you've ever been there, when you don't have things, it causes you to to be dependent, to, to seek out God, to, to be in constant prayer. This isn't always the principle. Actually, later in, in Luke 22, um, Jesus will tell them to, to take some of these things along. 
Um, you need, so it, it, I think in some ways he's teaching them a lesson, and we see the lesson there in Luke 22. He says to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? So he asked them that question. When I did that, did you lack anything? And what did they say? They said, nothing. Jesus, we didn't lack anything when you sent us out. So they learned a valuable lesson there, didn't they? That, that when they go out, even if they have nothing, and, and they're dependent on God alone, that God will provide what they need. But, you know, as we go about the task, if you feel like you have nothing, like you go into a situation empty-handed, you're, you're witnessing and you don't even know what to say to someone, you don't even know how to start the conversation, there's a dependence upon the Holy Spirit that comes, a dependence upon God to provide what you need, to provide opportunities for you. That's where we need to be. And if that's the case, we'll go, we'll go into the situations, and I think Jesus would say, did you lack anything? And we can say, nothing. God, you opened the doors that I needed. You provided me the wisdom that I needed in the moment. We didn't lack anything. God provides in those moments. He provides in those ways, but I think the other interesting thing is that he provides to the generosity of others. As we think about these guys going into houses, two by two, they show up in these towns and they go into houses. They're dependent upon the generosity of others. Think about all these nameless individuals that invited the disciples into their homes. Isn't that a neat thought to think about? They went to these towns and two by two, and, and there were families that said, well, why don't you stay with us for the night? We'll provide your food for however long you're here. And, and there were little kids that maybe had to give up their bed for a few nights so that, you know, Peter or James or John could sleep there. Maybe later they could tell those stories. Yeah, he's, he stayed at my house back in the day. And, and, and these families, they went out went without certain things because there was another couple mouths to feed in their home. And so they made sacrifices. But all those sacrifices were part of allowing the kingdom to go forward. Well, the we're all responsible, again, to tell the truth of the gospel, but there are some who are sent out. There are some who are pastors or, or, or missionaries, and it's it's as we support those that are to go out and share with people that we will never meet, that we are actually partaking in that ministry with them, that people are dependent upon the generosity of God's people on open on open doors and on, on open hands, on, on people generously giving. And as we... Uh, gear up towards November thinking specifically about missions. I just can't help but thinking about this, that that as we support others in prayer and, and even with money, that we are a part of the spread of the gospel in these other nations that go out. That as people are dependent upon God, God often uses us to meet those specific needs, and they are dependent on the generosity of God's people. So this task calls for urgency. It calls for selflessness. It calls for dependence. And then I just want to, one final truth is this. As we go about this task of proclaiming the good news, we will face opposition, resistance, and confusion. We will face opposition, resistance, and confusion. There were some that were going to invite them into their homes. What does verse 5 say? Wherever they do not receive you, it's assumed that some towns are not going to receive them. That they're going to go and they're going to say, guys, we don't want you here. That, that's that's inevitable. The good news is not seen by good news as good news by all people. There are some people that hear and truly hear it sinks in their heart. And there's some people that hear and they want absolutely nothing to do with it. And Jesus says, in those circumstances, don't beat your head against the wall. You just shake the dust from that from your feet of that town as a testimony against them. It's actually a very strong rebuke against that town. The the 
the Jews, if they were traveling in Gentile areas, when they came back to Israel, they would take the dust from that Gentile area that may have been on their clothes and they would shake it off. And they would shake the dust of their feet off because these were not God's people and they were entering back in with God's people. And so as the disciples would leave this town and shake the dust, they would say, your town is like a town of Gentiles. Because these were all Jewish towns. Your town is like people that are not a part of the kingdom of God. This is a, this is a large judgment on these towns that rejected the kingdom of God, that rejected Jesus as Messiah. It's a strong testimony against them. It's, it's strange, but... I think as we go places and people do not receive us, that, that sometimes we persist persist in continuing to proclaim the gospel, and sometimes we do. We say this town is resistant. This heart is resistant. Jesus can break any heart, yes, but there's times when we, when we move on, when we go to another town and proclaim the gospel. You see the opposition and resistance in these towns and villages, but also in Herod. You see Herod there in verses 7 through 9 and his response to everything that's Going on. This is not the same Herod that was alive, that was ruling when Jesus was born, but rather this is Herod's son. And news about Jesus and, and his disciples is spreading, and it's Jesus is becoming popular because Herod's now hearing about it. Herod's heard about this, and, and it reaches his ears, and the question that comes to his mind is, who is this? <laughs> Again, it's that question that keeps cropping up. Who is this guy? Herod starts asking that question. And he's as confused as everyone else. Everyone else is saying, it's John the Baptist back from the dead. Others say, it's Elijah, the forerunner, the one that was going to come before the Messiah. Other people are saying, it's a prophet that's resurrected. We get an idea about who Jesus was. He's turning the world upside down. He's speaking with authority like the prophets. But we also see that there's some people, that there's a segment of the population that, that don't even they won't even consider that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? That's not one of the options. Well, who is this guy? Well, he might be John the Baptist who was beheaded, resurrected from the dead, but he's definitely not the Messiah. That they were so closed off to that option that they were willing to start thinking about prophets being raised up from the dead rather than to admit that maybe he was the Messiah. This idea that, that he is John back from the dead was probably most confusing to Herod because you remember Herod's the one that ordered John the Baptist to be beheaded. And he did it because, in part because Herod's wife, who was actually his brother's wife that Herod had taken, John had spoken against Herod and said that's wrong. Herod's wife didn't like that. And so when the opportunity came, she said, I'd like you to kill John. I'd like you to cut off his head. And that's what he did. And so I think that Herod might be a little scared <laughs> that John has come back. So, so Herod's confused. And he wants to see Jesus, it says. Do you see that? Verse 9, Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this? Who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. He's confused and he works hard to try to understand who is this guy. I want to, I want to meet him. Maybe he wanted to see if it really was John. <laughs> Maybe it was just something else. Maybe he was just curious. Herod actually gets his wish. He meets Jesus. It's in Luke 23 that he meets Jesus. And it's, it's an interesting scene. This is during the trial after Jesus had been betrayed. He'd been before Pilate. Pilate heard that he was from Galilee, and so he sent him to, to Herod, who was over Galilee. It says in verse 7 of, of Luke 23, And when he learned, when Pilate learned that Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. 
Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So Herod, this desire to see Jesus continued on throughout all of Jesus' life, and so when he hears, we're sending Jesus to you, he gets excited. Why is he excited? I think it's clear he says he's excited because he thought, well, maybe he'll do a special miracle just for me. Maybe he'll do something that I can, I can see the, the power of Jesus that everyone's talking about. I can see it specifically. There's this curiosity. It says that he wanted to, to see a sign done by him. So he, Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. This is the scene where, where Herod wants to see Jesus, but he's not interested in the gospel message, is he? He's just curious. I wonder who Jesus is. He's not going to repent. He didn't repent when, when John called him out on his sin. He's not interested in that sense. And so there's this sense in which you might even say that, that Jesus shakes the dust of Herod from his feet. He doesn't even give him the time of day. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do any miracle. He doesn't even speak a word to Herod. Why? Because Herod just wants, he's just got, he's just curious. I wonder what Jesus is like. But he has no interest in, in bowing his knee to Jesus as king. In fact, he makes fun of him as a king. He mocks him in that way. And so Jesus, in judgment against Herod, doesn't even respond to him. It's interesting that this is just one of the steps on those, those days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. It began with Judas's betrayal, and it, and it ends with Jesus being crucified on a cross. And many, probably Herod included, assumed that now this was all over. We know who Jesus was. He was just a man. He was some crazy teacher who was going around, and everyone was excited about him for a while, but now he's dead. We're done with this. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And then three days later, he rises again from the dead. And he makes appearances before all the disciples. And then amazingly, he before he descends, you think about this, he, he gathers the disciples to him again, one last time. And it's interesting, isn't it? He does the exact same thing that he does here in Luke chapter 9. He gathers them together, and he says, the Holy Spirit's coming. It's going to fill you with power. And when he comes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so now he sends them on a mission. It's not just to Galilee, and it's not just to the Jewish people. It's to all nations. It's to all people. And it's now not just with some speci special, specific empowerment, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit. God himself is indwelling them. It's, he sends them out into the nations to tell the good news. And all that they had learned, both in this, this travel, the, this being sent out, was, was used in this, this one. That, that they, they knew what to do. That, so they, they go out, and, and they preach this gospel, and they do it with a sense of urgency. And they, they do it with selfless attitudes. They aren't looking to gain position or, or money. And they do it in dependence upon God. And they do it knowing that people are going to oppose the message, knowing that they will face opposition just as Jesus did. But they go out anyways because that's what Jesus has called them to do. And this is what we are called to do. That as disciples of Jesus, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are given the good news. Jesus has changed our lives. And we are now to go out. We go forth in the power and authority of the Spirit and we announce that God's kingdom is here, that Jesus has come to bring forgiveness of sins. We go with a sense of urgency. 
We go with a sense of selflessness. We go dependent upon God, and we know that there are people going, we go knowing that people will be opposed to the message, people will be confused by the message, people will reject the message, but we go with the hope that as we speak to sinful men and women that Jesus may turn their hearts and help them to see that he is the way back to God through his life and death and resurrection. I pray this is an encouragement. In some ways, I just pray, as it has been for me, that it's, that it's a kick in the pants, that this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're to be about. And if we're scared and if we don't know what we're supposed to do, he, Jesus will give us what we need. He's given us the power. If we are dependent upon him, he will provide in the moments that we need him. But there's an urgency. There's a selflessness. And yes, there will be opposition. And we should not be surprised at that. And when it happens, we move on. And we continue to proclaim the good news about Jesus.